So since Adam represented us, we are sinful, fallen, and outside of Christ. So everyone outside of Christ is condemned. And outside of Christ is the only way to hell. With that said, there's only one way to heaven, and that's in Christ and through Christ. Welcome to the Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Fox Den. Perhaps you've heard people say that there are many ways to heaven, but the question is, is this really true? Well, Jesus Christ would disagree. In John 14, 6, he says that he is the way, and Jesus could only make this statement if it's true, and here's why. As C.S. Lewis once said in the past, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. And there are a lot of people who don't believe that Jesus is God. However, they do believe that he was a good man and he taught moral lessons. And certainly he gave us an example to follow. But here's the problem. If Jesus isn't God, then he's a liar. Take a look at John chapter 8, verse 53 and following. There the Jews asked Jesus if he was greater than their father Abraham. And in verse 58, Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. Did you catch the problem with Jesus' statement? He used a present tense verb concerning himself, but he used a past tense verb concerning Abraham. Since he was born hundreds of years after Abraham, it would have been grammatically proper to say, before Abraham was, I was. But Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Now, the Jews knew what Jesus was saying. You see, they picked up stones to throw at him for making this statement. And why did they do that? They wanted to stone him because they knew that Jesus placed himself in the Old Testament. Take a look at Exodus 3. There Moses is confronted by the burning bush hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And this is where God called Moses to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. Well, Moses wanted to know God's name, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now let's return to John chapter 8. And Jesus called himself, I am. And who was I am in Exodus 3? God. And did you notice that Jesus didn't correct himself? He didn't say, oh, I'm sorry. I meant to say before Abraham was, I was. As if that would solve the problem. Even if he had said that, it still implied his pre-existence. But Jesus used the present tense verb. He intentionally said before Abraham was, I am. And Jesus used this phrase because he knew he is God. Now look at John chapter 20, verse 28. And here Thomas called the resurrected Jesus God. And perhaps that's a mistake. Perhaps Thomas was so taken by emotion because he saw the resurrected Jesus that he mistakenly called him God. But notice that Jesus didn't correct him. Jesus let him hold this view. And the fact that Jesus didn't correct Thomas shows that Jesus believes he is God. And if Jesus isn't God, and he allowed Thomas to hold this view of him, then he's a liar. He allowed Thomas to hold a false view of him. And if Jesus is a liar, then how can he be a good moral man? And by the way, did you catch what I said about Thomas's meeting with Jesus? It was after Jesus rose from the dead. And what does the resurrection of Jesus tell us? Well, it tells us that he is God. Every human being except for Jesus Christ has sinned and deserves death. Jesus, on the other hand, had no sin and his resurrection is proof. 
You see, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. And death could not hold Jesus in the grave because it had no right over him. Jesus didn't sin, so he didn't earn death. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 56 and 57. The sting of death is sin, but God gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had no sin of his own, so he conquered death, and his resurrection is proof. You see, Jesus didn't die sometime later. He ascended into heaven. We see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Jesus had no sin because he is God. Now, let me go one more place. The Gospel of John is about Jesus Christ. And look at how John begins his Gospel. In John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the first thing to mention here is that Jesus is the Word. The Gospel of John is about Jesus. We actually see in verse 14 that the Word became flesh. Well, that's Jesus. So John chapter 1, verse 1 is talking about Jesus, and it's saying that he was in the beginning, and there in the beginning he was with God, but not only that, he was God. So therefore, we conclude that Jesus Christ is God. Now let's return to John chapter 14, verse 6. Because Jesus is God, and he says he is the way, that means there is no other way. Now, what does Jesus mean by the way? Well, he explains in verse 6 of John chapter 14, no one can come to the Father except through him. He is the only way to the Father. And that means that everybody outside of Christ is apart from the Father. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, it means that those who come to the Father will be saved from hell. Take a look at John chapter 6, verse 40. There it says that the Father's will is that those who believe in Christ will have eternal life and that Jesus will raise them up on the last day. So to be with the Father ultimately means being saved from hell and spending eternity with God in body and soul, where there will be no sin, suffering, or death. And Jesus is the only way to the Father, so he is the way, the only way of salvation. Now here's the bad news for mankind. We all come from Adam, and by our relationship to Adam, we are outside of Christ. Now at this point, let me play an excerpt from episode 60. We have to begin in Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 1, God created all things. Then Genesis chapter 2 focuses on the creation of man. We see that God created Adam, and he puts him in a garden. And he tells him that he can eat from any tree of the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in the day that he eats of it, he will surely die. And we see that in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. And then in Genesis chapter 3... We see a serpent coming into the garden, and he tempts Eve to eat the fruit. She eats, then she gives Adam the fruit, and he eats. That's the fall of mankind. Now, what you have to know here is that Adam sinned on your behalf. He is our representative. In other words, we're guilty in Adam. And there are two things I want to mention to support my point. First, every person following Adam, with the exception of Jesus Christ, is sinful. Other than Jesus, not a single person is perfect. You see this on display every day. Just drive down the freeway and see how people behave. They do so because they're sinful. I find it interesting that people will cut you off for their own convenience. And do you realize what they're doing? 
They're elevating themselves. They consider themselves more important than you. You see, their convenience is more important. Or all you have to do is watch the news and see many terrible things that happen. Or just reflect on your own life. And you can see your own sin. Every single human being, with the exception of Jesus Christ, is sinful. Second, Paul tells us that sin and death came through Adam. And he tells us that in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. There he says that sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin. You see, sin came in through Adam, and all mankind is sinful. Now, one place that we can go to see if this is actually true is Genesis chapter 4. There we see Cain, Adam's oldest son, kills Abel, his other son. Where did Cain get the idea of killing? Well, it comes from his sinful heart. Where did he get his sinful heart? From Adam. So we are guilty in Adam. Adam's sin is our sin, and we are fallen because he fell. He is our representative in the Garden of Eden. His failure is our failure. Now, this isn't a new theological idea. For example, the Heidelberg Catechism, which was written in 1563, addresses this. Question 6 asks, Did God create man so wicked and perverse? And it answers by saying, No, God created man good and in his own image that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might truly know God, his Creator, love him with all his heart, and live with God in eternal happiness for his praise and glory. Then question 7 asks, Then where did man's corrupt nature come from? And it answers by saying, From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. This fall has so poisoned our nature that we are all conceived and born in sin. So what question 7 is getting at is that we get our sinful nature from Adam and Eve. Adam was our representative, and sin entered through Adam. He is our representative. We are guilty because of him. His sin has affected all of us. Now again, we tend not to like this. Many people think it's not fair that we're sinful because of another man's sin. But we all sin by our own willingness. So we're all guilty by our own sin, first in Adam, but also because of our own sin, which we commit willingly. Now let's look at the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and it was written in 1648. Question 12 asks, What special act of providence did God exercise toward man in the estate wherein he was created? And it answers by saying, When God had created man, he entered into a covenant of life with him upon condition of perfect obedience, forbidding him to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil upon pain of death. And then question 13 asks, Did our first parents continue in the estate wherein they were created? And it answers by saying, Our first parents, being left to the freedom of their own will, fell from the estate wherein they were created by sinning against God. So let me just recap questions 12 and 13. Question 12 is saying, when God created Adam, he made a covenant with him. And he told them that he would die if he ate the forbidden fruit. Question 13 is saying that they ate the forbidden fruit by their own free will. Now let me skip to question 15. What was the sin wherein our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created? And it answers by saying, The sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created was their eating the forbidden fruit. And now question 16. Did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? And it answers by saying, The covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity. 
All mankind descending from him by ordinary generation sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. So the point that question 16 is getting at is that Adam was our representative. The covenant that God made with Adam didn't just affect Adam. It affected all mankind. But notice what it says concerning Christ. All mankind descending from him by ordinary generation. You see, even this is excluding Jesus Christ without naming Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was conceived in the Virgin Mary. So we are guilty of violating God's holy law because Adam sinned against him, and Adam was our representative. When he sinned against God, we sinned against God. We were in him when he fell. His fall is our fall. And again, this brings up Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Sin entered through one man, and death through sin. Now here's the proof that you and I are sinful. Every human being will die. And the reason why we die is because we're sinful. And we sin because we're fallen in Adam. He is our representative in the Garden of Eden. And as our representative, he failed on our behalf. And we are condemned before God because of Adam's sin. You're guilty in Adam. You continue to add to your guilt every day by your own sins, but you're guilty in Adam. So since Adam represented us, we are sinful, fallen, and outside of Christ. So everyone outside of Christ is condemned, and outside of Christ is the only way to hell. With that said, there's only one way to heaven, and that's in Christ and through Christ. Remember, Jesus is God, and he said that he is the way to the Father. He is the way of salvation. And how can this be? Jesus did what we were unable to do. First, he lived a perfect life. He never sinned. Therefore, he's not worthy of death. Again, according to Romans 6.23, death is the wage of sin. We earn death because we sinned, first in Adam and then by our own conduct. Jesus, on the other hand, never sinned, so he never earned death. But wait, why then did Jesus die? Jesus died because he took our sins on himself. So Jesus died the death that we deserve on our behalf. Do you want proof that your sins were put on Christ? Look at the cross. Look at his death. He didn't die because of his sins. He died because he took your sins on himself and he died the death you deserve. However, his resurrection is proof that he is sinless. So where Adam earned death and condemnation for all mankind, Jesus earned eternal life for those who are in him. So how do you move from Adam to Jesus? By faith. First, you recognize your sinfulness. You recognize that you are worthy of condemnation because of your union with Adam and your own sinfulness. Second, you recognize that Jesus is the only perfect substitute for you. In other words, you depend on the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for your salvation. You don't depend on yourself and your good works and your conduct. You depend on Christ, his work, his conduct, his death, his resurrection. And your dependence on Christ is faith. But you need to know that your faith is a work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 29. It asks, how are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ? And it answers by saying, we are made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it 
to us by his Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit applies the redemption that Christ purchased to us. Now listen to question 30. How does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? And it answers by saying the Spirit applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. So the Holy Spirit works faith in us, and by doing so, he unites us to Christ in our effectual calling. And that's what question 31 defines. It asks, what is effectual calling? And it answers by saying, effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, he does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. So the first thing to notice is effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit. And in that, he convinces us of our sin and misery. He enlightens our minds in the knowledge of Christ and he renews our wills. And in that, he persuades us and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ as he has offered to us freely in the gospel. You see, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, we would never embrace Christ because we are not able. The Holy Spirit enables us to embrace Christ. So it's the Holy Spirit that moves us from Adam to Christ. And God does this by his grace alone. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. And there we see that by grace alone, God saves his people. You see, he saves his people simply because it pleases him to do so. It's not by our efforts or our merit. It's by the grace of God. It just pleases him to save his people. And God saves those who depend on Christ for their salvation. And it's the Holy Spirit that works that faith in us. We are 100% dependent on God for our salvation. We are saved by his grace. We are saved by Christ's perfect work. We are saved by the perfect sacrifice of Christ. We are saved by the resurrection of Christ. We are saved by the work of the Holy Spirit. We add nothing to our salvation. We truly are 100% dependent on God for our salvation. Here's the bottom line. Outside of Christ is the only way to hell. And because of Adam, all mankind starts there. Fortunately, there's another option. In Christ is the only way to heaven. And the only way to be in Christ is by faith alone, which the Holy Spirit works in the people of God, those whom the Father gave Jesus to save. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at thefoxdenjournal.com. If you enjoy The Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening. Remember, faith comes by hearing.